Let's open the sacred Scriptures tonight to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We will read verses 25 through 59. But before we do, it's worth noting the context. The day prior to this, Jesus performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. When the people who witnessed this miracle saw what He did, they wanted to take Him by force and make Him their King. But Jesus was not interested in the establishment of an earthly kingdom. And therefore, He took a ship across the sea. And when the people saw that He had gone across the sea, they, have followed him, they had followed Him across the sea as well and have now come to Capernaum where they have found Jesus the next day. And that's the context for what we read beginning at verse 25 of John chapter 6. And when they had found Him on the other side of the sea, they said unto Him, Rabbi, whence camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Ye seek Me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. They said therefore unto Him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever and drink and Excuse me, he shall live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. 
As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. As far we read God's Word. It's on the basis of this passage and many others that we have the instruction of Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 28. Lord's Day 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism. How art thou admonished and assured in the Lord's Supper that thou art a partaker of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross and of all of His benefits. Thus, that Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and to drink of this cup in remembrance of Him, adding these promises. First, that His body was offered and broken on the cross for me and His blood shed for me as certainly as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup communicated to me. And further, that He feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life with His crucified body and shed blood as assuredly as I receive from the hands of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord as certain signs of the body and blood of Christ. What is it then to eat the crucified body and drink the shed blood of Christ? It is not only to embrace with a believing heart all the sufferings and death of Christ and thereby obtain the pardon of sin and life eternal, but also besides that to become more and more united to His sacred body by the Holy Ghost who dwells both in Christ and in us so that we, through Christ, though Christ is in heaven and we on earth, are notwithstanding flesh of His flesh and bone of His bone, that we may live and are governed forever by one Spirit, as members of the same body are by one soul. Where is Christ in promise that He will as certainly feed and nourish believers with His body and blood as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? In the institution of the supper, which is thus expressed, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also He took the cup when He had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He come. This promise is repeated by the Holy Apostle Paul where he says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body because we are all partakers of that one bread. In our treatment of the Heidelberg Catechism, we are in the middle of the section concerning the sacraments. Lord's Day 25 introduced the sacraments as those signs and seals that Christ instituted for the strengthening of our faith. That was then followed by Lord's Days 26 and 27, which explained to us the meaning and the significance of baptism, as well as the proper objects of baptism, especially in question and answer 74. Now we come to three Lord's Days explaining the meaning and the significance of the Lord's Supper. And once again, we are faced with the question, how does this work? What is going on when we partake of the Lord's Supper? And that's really the question that's being asked at the outset of this Lord's Day. How art thou admonished and assured in the Lord's Supper that thou art a partaker of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross and all His benefits? The catechism is using the exact same language here that it used at the beginning of its treatment of baptism when it said, How art thou admonished and assured by holy baptism that, thou, that the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is of real advantage to thee? So in both cases, the, the catechism begins with this language of the sacraments admonishing us and assuring us that what Christ did at the cross, He did for me personally. That's how the sacraments work. 
But that raises questions for us. Even as it raised questions regarding baptism, there's questions for us regarding the, whole, the Lord's Supper. What here is the meaning, the significance of what does it admonish me and assure me? And again, we're faced with that question, how exactly does this work? So we have a similar structure to this sermon that we had to the sermon on Lord's Day 26. As we consider this evening, Lord's Day 28, using as our theme, admonished and assured by the Lord's Supper. First, we'll, look at the, we'll ask the question, of what are we admonished and assured? Second, how are we admonished in a third? And then thirdly, why? Why did Christ give us this sacrament to thereby admonish and assure us? So we start by asking the question, of what? And in facing that question, we're really asking, what is the meaning, the significance of the Lord's Supper? And the main idea is that of nourishment, of being fed. And that comes out in the language of the catechism. For example, right in the middle of answer 75, we read this, and further, He feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life. We find similar language at the beginning of in question 77, where we read, where has Christ promised that He will as certainly feed and nourish believers with His body and blood as they eat of this broken body and drink of this cup? The Catechism picks up on the fact that the main idea here is that of a meal and that corresponds to the elements. The bread and the wine. This is how it worked with baptism. The element there is water because Water is used to wash away dirt from our physical flesh and therefore is a proper picture of what the sacrament is intended to communicate, the fact that all of our sins are washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. So too in the Lord's Supper, there's a clear parallel between the elements and what they point to. The elements are a meal. There's bread and wine being set in front of us, pointing us to the fact that The primary idea is that of nourishment. That's what the sacrament points us to. The idea of being fed. But now, before we are fed, we're first of all reminded by the Lord's Supper of our hunger. Is that not how it works with a meal? After long days of work, you come home and there's food being set out. And what does it do? It reminds you of just how hungry you are. So too, in the Lord's Supper, the, this meal that's set before us is first of all a reminder of our spiritual hunger. Of the need that our souls have for nourishment, even as our bodies stand in need of regular nourishment. And it's that parallel between the needs of the soul and the body that come out, especially in the Belgic Confession and its treatment of the Lord's Supper. In Article 35, begins its treatment this way. Well, not in the second paragraph, it starts this. This is on page 52 in this particular Psalter. The second paragraph reads this way Now, those who are regenerated have in them a twofold life the one corporal and temporal, which they have from the first birth and is common to all men, the other spiritual and heavenly, which is given them in their second birth, which is affected by the word of the gospel in the communion of the body of Christ. And this life is not common, but peculiar to God's elect. So it's saying, as God's people, we have both our physical life and our spiritual life. And now it goes on to say, in like manner, God hath given us for the support of the bodily and earthly life, earthly and common bread, which is subservient thereto and is common to all men, even as life itself. But for the support of the spiritual and heavenly life, which believers have, He has sent a living bread which descended from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, who nourishes and strengthens the spiritual life of believers when they eat Him, that is to say, when they apply and receive Him by faith in the Spirit." So the catechism, excuse me, the Belgian Confession is drawing a parallel. We have a physical life, our bodies. We have a spiritual life, our souls. And God has appointed certain means for the sustaining of our physical life. He's given us 
bread. He's given us food. He's given us drink. And so too, He gives means to support our spiritual life. And and we need that. If we would go without food or water for some period of time, we would feel the effects of that. We would grow very weak very quickly. And the same holds true for us spiritually. Just as the body needs regular intake of nutrients, so the soul needs some regular intake of a spiritual meal. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of that hunger. The Lord's Supper reminds me that I need to be fed on a regular basis. And there are two things in particular that I stand in need of so that our spiritual hunger is twofold. And the first is the hunger to know that my sins are forgiven. Because we are indeed sinners. The law reminds us of that every time that we read it, hear it, or reflect upon it. The law sets before us God's perfect standard and reminds us that we fall far short. And that's not just our sinful deeds, not just our sinful words, but our sinful thoughts, our sinful desires, because God's law addresses our hearts. God's law opens the hatch of our hearts and says, I know what's going on down in there. I see those sinful, that sinful pride. I see that bitterness that you're holding on to. I see the covetousness and all the other sins of our hearts. But the law does not stop there. The law impresses upon us that we deserve punishment for that. We deserve God's wrath on account of our sins so that as sinners, there's this experience of guilt. There's the shame associated with our sin. And thus there is a hunger to know the wonder of forgiveness. For would that not be a spiritual meal to your soul, child of God? To know that all of your sins have been paid for. They've all been taken care of. It's a meal indeed. A meal that warms the soul the way that warm bowl of soup warms the body on a cold winter day. There's a hunger to know the forgiveness of sins. But along with that hunger, in the second place, there's a hunger for spiritual strength. Strength to continue marching in our spiritual pilgrimage and fighting in our spiritual battle because we are indeed pilgrims. Today we rest, but tomorrow we journey again. And every pilgrim knows that this sojourn that we are on passing through the spiritual wasteland that is this world is fraught with difficulties, hardships, There's many trials that come upon us as pilgrims. And how are we to press on day after day if we're starving? If there's no nourishment for the soul? But it's not just that we're pilgrims. We're also soldiers. There's a, there's a battle taking place. We have that threefold enemy, the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh that constantly assail us, constantly attack us. And how are we to plunge headlong into battle if we're starving? If we're malnourished? If we're not being given the nutrients that we stand in need of from a spiritual point of view? We're hungry for spiritual strength to press on. Child of God, do you know this hunger? A hunger to know that your sins are forgiven. A hunger to receive additional strength 
to continue on as a pilgrim and a soldier. When we grow hungry physically, we feel it. We know it. There are those hunger pangs. There's the, the growling of our stomach that makes it very clear, I'm hungry for a physical meal. Do you have those same hunger pains spiritually? Is there a longing in your soul to be fed? If so, the good news of the Gospel is that there is indeed spiritual nourishment for us. And that nourishment is found in Christ Jesus Himself. And that's what the Lord's Supper reminds us of. So that the Lord's Supper not only reminds us of our hunger spiritually, but it also provides the spiritual nourishment that we stand in need of and that it sets forth Jesus Christ. For you see, Jesus Christ is indeed our nourishment. And that's the burden of Jesus' teaching in John chapter 6. The multitude that came to Jesus in John chapter 6, were interested in Him because of His ability to give them bread. Verse 26 says, in verse 26, Jesus says, Ye seek Me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Jesus is calling out the fact that they were simply interested in Him because He was able to, to satisfy their physical needs. They were coming to Jesus Christ as though He was a waiter. As a cook who could provide them with what they stood in need of physically. That's all they were interested in. And thus Jesus has to teach them. I am the bread that you really need. That's what that the instruction that He gives them again and again that He Himself is the bread of life. For example, in verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to Me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on Me shall never thirst. Again, verse 48, I am that bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And for Jesus, Jesus refers to Himself as bread. And He uses bread because bread is the staple of the human diet. It has been throughout the history of of the world. It's the, the basic aspect of the, the human diet. And it's that which supports our life. So that for Jesus to say, I am the bread of life, is for Him to say, I am the one who will support you, who will give you continued life. And that from a spiritual point of view. And He's able to do that because He is life. That was His instruction on a different occasion, He taught His people, I am the resurrection of the life. The resurrection and the life. He is life. That's a part of His very being. A part of His very essence. And therefore, He's able to give us the life that we stand in need of. So that the point that Christ is making here is that He is our nourishment. He's the only One who can satisfy our souls. That's why He, he goes on and at length in this regard, for example, in verses 53-55, through 55, Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth My flesh and drinketh My blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For My flesh is meat indeed, and My blood is drink indeed. So Jesus Christ is the nourishment that our souls need. And it's worth seeing that in Jesus Christ, we have the very nourishment that we stand in need of. That we noted just a moment ago of regard to the two different aspects of our spiritual hunger. The, the hunger to know that our sins are forgiven as well as the hunger for spiritual strength. We find both of them in Jesus Christ. And that's what the Heidelberg Catechism brings out in question and answer 76. Question 76 asks, what is it then to eat the crucified body and drink the shed blood of Christ? And the answer it is not only to embrace with a believing heart all the sufferings and death of Christ, 
and thereby to obtain pardon of sin and life eternal. We'll stop there. So the first thing is that in Christ there is the nourishment of pardon. That's the language here. And thereby to obtain the pardon of sin and life eternal. So that the nourishment is the forgiveness of sins. A nourishment that comes to us on the basis of Christ's saving work. The Catechism speaks of His sufferings and His death. The fact that He had to lay down His life. That His blood was shed. That He made atonement for our sins. And it's on that basis that our Savior declares to us, your sins are forgiven. The debt has been paid. And He sets that truth before our eyes visibly in the Lord's Supper. That's what He's doing. He's communicating this truth to us in and through the sacrament. And thereby giving us that meal that we are so hungry for. The nourishment that comes from hearing that word. Sinner, I do not hold this against you. It's gone. What a meal that is for a hungry soul. But in Christ, there's not only the meal that comes from knowing that our sins are forgiven, there's also the meal that comes from the continued strength that He supplies for us. And that's what comes out in the second half of answer 76. Third line, it says, but also besides that, to become more and more united to His sacred body by the Holy Ghost, who dwells both in Christ and in us, so that we, through Christ, though Christ is in heaven and we on earth, are notwithstanding flesh of His flesh and bone of His bone, that we live and are governed forever by one Spirit as members of the same body are by one soul. Now embedded into the language of this answer is the truth of our union with Christ. The truth that Jesus Christ Himself taught us, for example, in verse 56 of the chapter that we read. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. Christ dwells in me and I dwell in him. That's the language of union. And that's the truth that's being expressed here in this second half of answer 76. For example, it speaks of us being flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. That's the language of union, specifically the marriage union. Christ is our bridegroom and we are His bride. We have been legally united to Jesus Christ. There's also the union of Him as our head and us as members of His body. The, the catechism speaks of that truth too. It says, and, we are li- and that we live and are governed forever by one Spirit as members of the same body are by one soul. So the catechism has in view our union and that relates back to this idea of Him giving us strength because it's through this union that the life, the strength of Jesus Christ flows down to us. There's a a living, a vital connection between Christ and His people so that His life becomes ours. We're given His strength. Strength, therefore, to press on as pilgrims. Though we grow weary, though there are times that we want nothing more than to just lie down and give it all up, there's strength to continue in Jesus Christ. There's strength to continue the battle as we fight against our spiritual enemies. Though they continue to attack us unrelentingly, in Christ there's the strength to Continue to fight the good fight of faith. And what's so amazing is that as we eat and drink of Christ, not only are we given the strength, but really we grow closer to Him. That's the idea of the catechism when it speaks of the way it does in this answer. And it says, but also besides that, to become more and more united to His sacred body by the Holy Ghost. And now we need to be careful when we come to this type of language of being more and more united because 
we have to have as our starting point the fact that there is an objective union between us and Jesus Christ. A union that cannot be broken so that the idea is not that, well, we're united to Him for a time and then it's broken and it has to be put back together. Not that. But yet there is a sense in which this union with Christ is progressive. It grows. It gets stronger. Particularly in our experience of it. So that we come to enjoy this union with Christ more and more. It's really how it should work in a marriage, is it not? When we marry our spouse, we become objectively united to our spouse. There's a bond that cannot be broken. And ideally, we come to enjoy that bond more and more as we come to know our spouse better, as we spend more and more time with our spouse, so it is with our union with Jesus Christ. We're objectively united to Him. There's no changing that. But our enjoyment can and does grow as we eat and drink of Jesus Christ by faith. Is that what you want, child of God? In other words, is it Christ Himself? And an ever deeper and closer relationship with Him that you want? And that's an important question because there is the temptation for us to likewise become guilty of the very same thing as the Jews in John chapter 6. There was a whole crowd of people coming to Him. They were flocking to this Jesus of Nazareth. They were willing to take boats across the Sea of Galilee to to catch up to this man whom they'd seen the day before. But why had they come? Because they wanted their bellies filled. That's it. They did not want Christ Himself. They only wanted what Christ could give them. And sometimes that's true of us too, sadly. Well, yes, we may go to Him. We may cry out in prayer even. But is it not the case that there are times that we're not so much interested in Christ as we are interested in what He can do for us and give to us so that our hearts are not on the giver, but the gifts. Beloved, that ought not be. Because if we're only interested in the gifts rather than the giver, really that betrays a selfish way of coming to Jesus Christ. And now, please do not misunderstand me as though I am saying you ought not go to Jesus Christ to supply your physical and spiritual needs. That's not the point at all. Of course we are to bring to Him our needs, whether they be physical, asking Him to provide us our daily bread, or whether they be spiritual, asking Him to forgive our sins or to give us strength or to help us here and to give us strength there. But if we only come to Christ exclusively for the things, for the gifts, then there's a problem in our hearts. Instead, our chief desire should be Christ Himself. And to be more and more united to Him. Is that not what a wife wants from her husband? A wife is not interested just in the paycheck that he brings home. A godly wife is interested in more than the the nice gifts, the, the flowers and the jewelry that her husband can provide for her. But a godly wife wants her husband, his time to be close to him, to, to just enjoy his presence. 
And the same ought to be for us. So that it ought not be that we go to Jesus Christ like He's nothing more than a waiter to give us some meal. We're not to go to Jesus Christ just as Mr. Fix-It who's going to take care of all my problems and solve all of my difficulties. But we are to go to Jesus Christ as our bridegroom. Wanting Him to know His presence, to know His love, to know His favor. May that be what we want more than anything in all the world because Christ alone is the only one who can satisfy our hungry souls. And He does that in part by means of the Lord's Supper. Which Lord's Supper reminds us and points us to this truth. He feeds and nourishes us thereby. But now that raises the next question of how exactly does this work? We've established that Christ is the One who feeds and nourishes us by giving us Himself as the bread of life and that He does so by means and Here the focus is on the Lord's Supper, but how does He use the Lord's Supper in this way? And the answer is that He does so by the signs, by the symbolism that's embedded into the sacrament. A sacrament is a sign and seal instituted by Christ for the strengthening of our faith. There's a sign, there are multiple signs in the Heidelberg Catechism, or excuse me, in the Lord's Supper, and the Heidelberg Catechism calls our attention to two of them. In question and answer 75, question 75 asks, How art thou admonished and assured in the Lord's Supper that thou art a partaker of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross and of all of His benefits? The answer, thus that Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and to drink of this cup in remembrance of Him, adding these promises that Adding these promises, first that by his that his body was offered and broken on the cross for me, and his blood shed for me, as certainly as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me, and the cup communicated to me. So that the first set of signs are the broken bread and the poured out wine. There's bread in the Lord's Supper. But not just bread, it's bread that's broken. Pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ had His body broken at the cross of Calvary when He was nailed to that cross. When His side was pierced through. So too, there's wine in the Lord's Supper pointing us to the blood of Jesus Christ. That blood that was shed out poured out at Calvary. And now the Lord's Supper admonishes us and assures us through these symbols so that we can have the same level of confidence that Christ's body was indeed broken, that His blood was indeed shed, as we have confidence that we witness the breaking of bread and the pouring out of wine. That's what the catechism explains to us in answer 75 when in the third line it says first that His body was offered and broken on the cross for me and His blood shed for me. And now here's the key phrase. As certainly as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup communicated to me. We see with our physical eyes the signs. There's a reason that the minister, when he's administering the Lord's Supper, takes a longer piece of bread, holds it up high, and breaks it before our eyes. And then he does the same thing with the wine. He, he takes a, 
a flask and a, a cup and he, he holds it up and he, he even puts some distance between the two vessels so that you can see the wine flowing down being poured out from the one to the other. And we all know, we all have confidence in what we saw. Our eyes do not deceive us when we say, I, I saw bread broken this morning and I saw wine poured out. And now what the catechism is teaching us is that the Lord's Supper admonishes us and assures us through that symbolism, through those signs so that I can be, have the same level of confidence that Christ's body was broken for me and that His blood was shed for me. I cannot see His sacrifice. It took place 2,000 years ago somewhere outside of Jerusalem, the exact location of which is still disputed to this day. But though I cannot see His sacrifice, I can see the signs that point to it. And in that way, through the symbol, it's as though we are seeing the cross with our own eyes. And now that does not mean that Christ is being re-sacrificed when we administer the Lord's Supper. That's the error of the Roman Catholic Church and we reject that error. But the point is that with the same confidence that we see the elements before us, when the Lord's Supper is administered, we can have the same confidence that Christ sacrificed Himself for us. So first of all, there's the signs of the broken bread and the poured out wine. But then secondly, there's also the eating and the drinking. Because we're more than observers at the Lord's Supper. Because the elements are distributed. They're placed in our hands and we're able to eat and to drink those things. Pointing to the truth that by faith we partake of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. And again, it's through the signs, it's through this symbolism that Christ Himself is admonishing us and assuring us that what He did at the cross, He did for us. And that's what the Catechism explains in the second half of answer 75. And further, that He feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life with His crucified body and shed blood as assuredly as, there's that similar language, as assuredly as I receive from the hands of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord as certain signs of the body and blood of Christ. When we partake of the Lord's Supper and the elements are distributed, for those who are allowed to partake, there is no doubt whatsoever that you have bread in your hand. No one is questioning when they have that piece of bread in their hand whether or not there's actually bread in my hand. It's there. I know it. And in the same vein, there's no doubt that when I eat that bread and when I drink that cup, it's going to go down into my body. It's going to be taken up by my digestive system. It's going to become a part of me so that the nutrients themselves are incorporated into my body and I'm thereby given strength. I'm nourished by this physical meal. We are all confident of that. When we partake of the elements and the point that the catechism is making is that we can have the exact same level of confidence that we are fed and nourished by Christ Himself. So that in the Lord's Supper, it's as though Christ Himself is handing to us His body and His blood and saying, take, eat, and drink the cup which I give to you. He says to us, this is what will nourish your famished soul. And as confident as we are that we've swallowed bread and wine, we can be just as confident that Christ now dwells within me. 
that I'm united to Him and He will give me that strength that I stand in need of. That's how the Lord's Supper admonishes us and assures us. And in this, it's really serving to strengthen our faith. That's what Lord's Day 25 taught us about the sacraments. They are used to bolster, to confirm, to strengthen our faith. Especially the the confidence, the assurance of faith. Because faith is both a certain knowledge and a, a hearty confidence. And it's that confidence that's, that's built up through the Lord's Supper. So that I'm confident that Jesus Christ was indeed, did indeed give Himself as a sacrifice for my sins. Though I cannot go back in time and see it, I have no doubt that it took place. And what is more, my assurance is strengthened because I can be confident that He did it for me. Not just from a general point of view. He did it for His people. He did it for the elect. But He did it for me personally and individually. But now because that is the case, It does mean that eating and drinking requires faith. That is, eating and drinking Christ Himself. Anyone can eat and drink the bread, the wine, but only the believer is truly fed and nourished by Christ. So that the Lord's Supper is not like going to the hospital, being hooked up to an IV, and the nutrients just sort of flow to you. You're passive. You're not doing anything. But in the Lord's Supper, we lay hold of Christ. We embrace Him by faith. And it's by faith that we are thereby fed and nourished. So that's how the Supper works. And that leaves us one last question. Why did Christ give this to us then? And surely, the answer includes at least this. In love to assure us. Because he knows how often we doubt. He knows that at times our faith grows so weak. There are the sins that we commit. There's the ongoing battle. There's the pilgrimage. And on account of it all, we often feel weak and weary. We become downcast. We begin to doubt His love for us. And thus we become very much so like doubting Thomas. You remember what he said. I will not believe until I see the nail prints, until I touch His pierced side. Since we are like Thomas, Christ instituted the Lord's Supper. For in the Lord's Supper, He gently removes our doubts the way He gently removed the doubts of Thomas. It's striking that the Lord does not rebuke Thomas for his doubt. But He gives to Thomas exactly what he needed. He came to Thomas and said, See, look upon my nail-pierced hands. Touch my my pierced side. And is that not what He's doing in the Lord's Supper? See it with your eyes as I set before you My sacrifice visibly and then touch it because the elements are given to us. They're put in our hands and then put in our mouths so that we can touch it, so that it's real, so that it's tangible. Because He knows how weak our faith is. 
He knows how prone we are to doubt and he deals with us so gently in giving us this visible token of his love for us to assure us to strengthen our faith. Because as a faithful bridegroom, He wants His bride to know that He loves her. When we get married, we give to our spouse a wedding ring. A visible token of our constant faithfulness and abiding love. And so Christ has given to His church the sacraments as a visible token of His constant faithfulness and abiding love. So that as the bride, we never ever doubt His love for us. And that by itself is nourishment for our hungry souls. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank Thee for the love of our Savior and giving us the sacraments to strengthen our weak faith. We thank Thee for the nourishment that we receive thereby, but we also thank Thee for the chief means of grace, the preaching, which does the same thing. And we pray that Thou will indeed strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ to know His love for us, to know that our sins are forgiven. And we pray that Thou will also give us the strength that we need to press on in a life of service to Thee. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.